bunch of stories on the just baseball show it's monday june 6th jack mcmullen arm Layton. we're gonna fly through a bunch of things that happened very late last week over the weekend as well it was a really good weekend for baseball a lot of regionals did you watch any college baseball this weekend honestly a good amount uh which was cool you know I, I'm, I'm a big like flip around guy and i'll admit one thing on college baseball early on i i, I like early in the ball game I'm not going to watch that much. I'm not going to watch it that much intent because I feel like no lead is safe, but late in the ball game, I'll watch a 9-4 game because I watch Wake Forest storm back and pull off a big comeback against UConn. That's the cool part about college baseball, but early in the ball game, it, it almost feels so trivial because you you know it's going to be like 10-9 by the end of the game, but it's been a lot of fun so far. And you know it's only going to get more and more fun as the quality kind of gets better and better with the pyramid getting a little bit narrower towards the top. Yeah, so how about that 29-15 Oklahoma State win? You see that? 29-15. Yeah, like that's what I'm talking about. So when it's 5-1 in the first or in the second inning, are you going to care that much? No. Not really. Um, What I do love is squeeze play, what ESPN puts out, because it's like big inning that MLB TV is doing now. Uh, Squeeze play is pretty much just red zone for college baseball and for the regionals. And it's the best thing ever, because that brings me to everything that I could possibly care about. And you hear the guitar do like the, you know, hey, a run just scored. And then they go show you that run. There are also, I mean, you've got 64 baseball teams playing right now. There's going to be great plays happening every five minutes. There are so many amazing plays right now. Did you see what Vance Honeycutt did in dead center for North Carolina? Robbing what would have been the game-tying home run. One away, bottom of the ninth, Carolina up one. Their opponent hits a ball dead center. It's over the wall, and Carolina's center fielder jumps and literally robs a home run. See, like that—that's what I love about it, right? Is—is is you just have so much desperation, like such a high level of of give a shit in college baseball that you can't really match anywhere else. Uh, and you know, again, like you said, there's so many games that it, you got a lot of different plays going on. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm excited to continue to see you know this get deeper and deeper into the tournament. The the twenty to one games against like New Mexico State, those yeah. those get a little bit old, but. I mean, how about New Mexico State hanging in there? I was watching. They had was it Tennessee that they had on the ropes? Yeah. Or, or who was? I, I think mean, so. they had them. They had them on the ropes. I, they they ran their sophomore pitcher. I think 125 pitches in, and I'm like, stop! Honestly, Don't do that. Yeah, and, and we talked about that a little bit before we recorded about you know these kids will throw till their arms fall off. You and I would have done the same thing. Like I think almost anybody will do the same thing. But at the same time, you almost need a coach to be like, hey, hey, hey. Like, let's tone it down a little bit. And if I had one nitpick on college baseball right now, and I get it because it's all about winning for these guys, for these coaches, you know, who are trying to feed their family and keep a job. Uh, It's tough, though, because you don't want to run these kids into the ground. And 125 pitches, which we're seeing on numerous occasions now, seems like a little bit much. Seems like a lot of bit much. And, I, you know, the question for these coaches and, you know, these kids are are – 
a little bit blind to it when they're in college baseball, though I'm sure a lot of them have the self-awareness like, hey, do you want to go in the first round or the fourth round? Because if you blow your arm out and you're 140th pitch of the game, then you're screwed here. And the draft is in what, three weeks, four weeks, maybe six. I mean, yeah, but like we um, before they they readjusted the draft, wasn't it right in between the Supers and the College World Series? Yeah, which was the weirdest thing ever. Like you would know certain guys would be drafted. It prior to, you know, the World Series concluding. So I remember watching the games, you know, way back and you'd see, oh, this guy's up at the plate and it was second round pick, you know, a week ago by this team, which is kind of weird because, again, are you going to run a pitcher into the ground if he was just picked in the second round? Like, is a team calling and saying this? Probably. So these p- players probably haven't agreed to their signing bonus yet. So now that's in a weird. So I'm glad that they pushed that back. But that also does give coaches a little bit more leeway to have their guys throw a lot of pitches. And it seems like it's the sophomores that are throwing a lot more pitches. It's not really the draft eligible juniors that you see kind of running their arms into the ground. And again, I love, love, love the passion and the desire to win. And, and that is what I'm here for. And I want to, if you're a fifth year senior that knows that there's nothing going on after baseball or after your, your uh, season is concluded, I'm all in on just, I would throw 300 pitches until my arm falls off. I'm not going to need it anymore after that. But for the sophomores and stuff like that, I, I, like be a little bit more careful, please. I mean, we have teams in the World Series not running their guys 125 pitches. I'm talking the Major League World Series. Yes. College World Series shouldn't be, you know, any different. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. We, we had a guy at Oklahoma State draft eligible sophomore who got two outs on Saturday and then on Sunday throw 125 pitches. Like, yeah, you can't do that. Um, speaking of that, that takes us to our first headline. Kumar Rocker just made his Atlantic League debut. And this isn't a guy that that was a victim of overuse. I don't really understand what he was a victim of. And I, I remember reading and just trying to, to get a read on the tea leaves last year when the Mets and the Kumar Rocker saga was going down. Do you remember, like, what exactly went down there? Was it injury concerns? Was it signing yeah. bonus? So I think a little bit of both, right? And and here's the thing is I think that's one of those situations that really only the Mets, Kumar Rocker, and uh, of course, Scott Boris will really know the the intricate details of, you know, but but ultimately you have the ability to share your medicals and almost every single player will share their medicals because it's, it, it gives you, it almost guarantees you, I forget what the exact number is, but if you give your medicals, it guarantees you a portion of your signing bonus, even if you don't agree to it. So it, it's a no brainer for guys that have nothing to hide. Uh, yeah. Obviously there was something to hide there for Kumar and some red flags and they didn't want to share that. Then after he was picked, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth there. As far as I know, you know, the Mets, I want to believe that they kind of punted on that pick. They said, you know, maybe we'll see what we can, if we can get Kumar to take this amount because he won't share his medicals. And if he won't take that amount, we get an extra first round pick. And now they've got a bunch of picks this year. Uh, So for them, didn't hurt them at all. Hurts Kumar because now he's, you know, pitching in independent ball, which is what the frontier league is. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to be just fine. And, you know, he was sitting 95 to 96 miles an hour, touched 98 and it was pretty cool. Apparently over 4,000 people there, several major league scouts. It was a pretty cool environment, uh, but it, it is tough when uh, you should have been in the first round last year and he should have already been well into his professional uh, career, affiliated professional career. Yeah. You said frontier league. I think it's the frontier league. I think I made the mistake by saying Atlantic league, tri city Valley cats. Yes. Is who Front, he's with. Frontier league. 
Frontier League. Okay. Uh, that's in New York, like Albany area, the Tri-City Valley Cats. Um, but that's not the story. The story is Kumar Rocker hit 99 on the gun, and he was sitting mid-90s. Kumar Rocker's really, really good, and a team is going to get a guy that will be a major league pitcher. I, th- I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I guess my question there is how high does Kumar Rocker go this year? Does he, does he go first round again? Does it come down to the medicals again? You know, like I, that, that's the thing is. And, and it's going to be the little, same song and dance. Remember Brady Aiken? Yeah, dude. And it was a little different because Brady Aiken had a like legitimate damage. Um, and as far as we know, unless Rocker got some secret surgery, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there was any procedure done. If he, if he did, it would have been one of the quickest turnarounds ever because he's back on the mound throwing 98, 99. Did he get that so, Conforto surgery, that secret yeah, surgery? Well, they have the same agent, dude. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like speculating on guys' health. And, and it was really refreshing to see Rocker throwing upper 90s because, it, you know, ultimately you want to see a guy like that succeed. There's nothing more of a gut punch than that what could have been story. And yeah. we don't want Rocker to be that what could have been story. I do wonder where he's going to fall here. And that's, a, I don't even know where to start in that regard, but let's, let's look at it this way. Guy with proven college success, still pretty young uh, and, and just carved in his basically professional debut, 60 pitches, 43 for strikes, struck out six, didn't walk a batter. Uh, he, I think he got beat on one home run. This is a 22-year-old that is, you know, if he continues in, let's say, five starts, carves up indie ball guys, you imagine that's almost liken it to, to carving up low A competition. That's pretty impressive, and I don't see how you don't take that guy in the first round. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I don't know where he's going to go, and, like, I don't, I don't think top 10 makes a lot of sense. What did he go? He went 10th or 11th? Last year. So, but, but here's the thing is there's not a lot of college arms this year. No, there's really not a lot of college arms. And even some of the top college arms are very polarizing. They're either, you know, didn't play were suspended for, for off the field reasons, injuries. Like there's a lot of things that go in with these college guys this year. It's a weird crop. And I could see Kumar getting a little bit of helium for that reason. And a team saying, Hey, let's get some crazy value here potentially. And, and, you know, everybody could look back on it and be like, how did they get Kumar Rocker at 18? Uh, yeah. You know, I, that could easily I, be it. I'm scrolling right now. And it took me until 22 in MLB's mock draft uh, to go get Cooper Jerpy out of Oregon state. Um, and also just baseball's mock draft 2.0 live on JustBaseball.com. Ryan Miller's got that too. And he's got a couple of college arms, but not many. And you would expect to see a college arm way ahead of 22. You would expect to see it within the top five. If somebody needs an arm that's going to get there quick, you do it with a college arm. You do it with a college starter that might, you know, profile well in the bullpen. Think Crochet, think Brandon Finnegan. Those guys were late first round picks because they knew that they could make their way in right away as a bullpen piece. And then slowly but surely, a la Michael Kopech, work back into being a dominant starter down the road. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like Kumar would make sense at the back end of the first round. The White Sox, I want to say, have the 26th pick. I would love if the White Sox went and grabbed Kumar Rocker. I'm not going to be angry if they, if they took that pick on Kumar Rocker just because of what could possibly be there. There's, there's no other college arm that I think you can take in the draft this year with that kind of upside. There's a couple high school arms that I think have that kind of upside, but I don't think that there's a college arm that you could take this year that has Kumar Rocker's upside. And ultimately, I think that's going to push him into the top 20. Uh, but yeah. it should be interesting to see where he falls. I mean, staying in the NL East, another headline here. Joe Girardi was fired on Friday. That was Friday, yeah? 
Uh, I believe it was on Friday. Yeah. I think it was Friday. And then they promptly won 10, nothing that night. Schwarber hit two bombs. Um, here's the thing about this. I think Joe Girardi is a solid manager. I think that he's got some flaws there, but the, the phrase that I keep on hearing in regards to this is the manager picks who goes on the field. He picks nine guys to go on the field. He doesn't pick the 26 that he has to choose from. No, the problem wasn't with Joe Girardi at any point. No, no, I, I don't think so. Unless there's something going on behind the scenes. No, nah, man, I think they just found a scapegoat. I, I agree. We need a new voice. And then that new voice happens to be the bench coach who worked right beside him. How different is that new voice? You know, I, I don't really understand. Like when they said we need a new voice, that would have made sense if they went outside. We need a new voice, but it's the guy that was also in the clubhouse right alongside Joe Girardi working with him day in and day out. That's what didn't make sense to me. I know they rattled off a couple wins. I don't really think that matters or has anything to do with anything. No, they were playing Anaheim. Anaheim can't win against, I mean, whoever right now. They've lost 11 straight, and that's that's a crazy thing in itself. And uh, I, I'm super amped on Bryson Stott, which we'll get yes. to, and that that clutch homer, and he's starting to really you know figure things out. And I can go into my monologue on why we have to be patient with prospects at the big league level. But, you know, here's my thing with Girardi it, it is, you know, I think he's proven himself as a capable manager. I think that's more than clear. And uh, was he the right guy for Philadelphia? Maybe not. Gabe Kapler apparently wasn't the right guy for Philadelphia either. And now he's one of the best managers considered at least uh, in major league baseball. So maybe it's the personnel. Maybe he didn't mesh with, with those kinds of players. You know, I I don't see why he wouldn't, he was able to manage in New York where uh, as far as we know for a long time, his manager's, or excuse me, his players seem to be very fine with him, you know, and, and went to war for him. And, you know, I didn't really read too much of an issue with, with Girardi and the players in New York. I really do think that it was a scapegoat situation. And honestly, this is a team that is a bottom 10 bullpen. It's the worst defensive team in baseball. I think it's a historically bad uh, defensive team. And, you know, the pitching has been inconsistent for the most part in the rotation. That is not Joe Girardi. What, what do you want him to do at that point? And I think ultimately they wanted to shake it up. And, and that was the only thing that they could really do at this moment to shake it up. When you were expected to be the worst defensive team in baseball and you drastically outperform that shittiness that we expected, something's up. And you obviously didn't do something that a kindergartner would have done to improve the roster. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that there are freshmen in high school who could construct a better offseason than what Dave Dombrowski did for the Philadelphia Phillies. I'll stand by that. And I think Dave Dombrowski is becoming more and more of a fraud of an executive as the years go on. I don't think he's ever really had good structure when it comes to building a team. I think it's very much Preller-esque. I think AJ Preller and Dave Dombrowski throw shit at the wall. It worked a couple of times and they're resting on their laurels there. I don't I think, think Dombrowski- I think Preller's more calculated too. Like that's a thing. Yeah. Preller Preller's a little bit more trigger happy, but he's more calculated. I think Dombrowski's just kind of a moron when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, you see this team is dog shit defensively. So you sign Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Are you I'm, fucking serious? It doesn't make any sense. And and also like fully plan to roll with dd quite frequently like i didn't even agree with sending stock down like i i I was like let him struggle let him work through it but i guess they're in win now mode and and that's but that's part of it if he makes the team don't send him down leave him up there and now he's back up and he's swinging it well i really don't think that that little 
cup of coffee back down in, in AAA really made a difference. When you're putting together a team like that, even Reese Hoskins at first base is bad. Like it, you're bad at every spot, and it's just the the blatant it, like just ignoring of defense. And then on top of that, the relievers that they bring in, like Corey Knable is going to help your bullpen. Yeah, Jury's really. Familia. Jury's familiar, the human rain delay who can't tie his shoes. I, I just I don't understand the moves. It just really seemed like they were almost blindly picking guys and just throwing money left and right and not really satisfying their needs. What I will say in their defense, though, is there have been a lot of big-time free agent signings this year that have gone poorly. I wouldn't put them in that bucket compared to a lot of the other signings, Uh, but it just didn't fit their needs whatsoever. And it was Dombrowski going all in on a strength, which was, you know, let's beef up this offense as much as we can. You can't win with just a heart of the order that mashes. That's not uh, like all offense in your lineup, not not much speed, you know, not much versatility. I don't really understand how you could look at that team. And especially when considering what is working across the game right now, the Dodgers of the world, the Rays of the world. I mean, even you, you look across the Giants, all of baseball's best teams are constructed so differently. And Dombrowski thinks he can go against the grain and create his own mold. I don't think so. And ultimately, Jojo already gets scapegoated for that. I want to go back to that because Schwarber and Castellanos are not underperforming right now. Schwarber's got a 124 OPS plus. Kyle Schwarber could realistically be an all-star this year. He's got 14 bombs already. Um, Castellanos is slightly above average at the moment, 105 OPS plus. So that, that's the thing. When you're performing like this and neither of those guys have been busts for you, you know that's on the guy upstairs that made the decision to sign the two of them. Like you're getting what you should have expected from Castellanos and Schwarber. Everybody and their mother knew that it wasn't enough to compete. And here we are talking about why the Phillies aren't competing and why they just had to fire the first manager at 2022. It's because you have a guy who doesn't know how to be a GM as your GM. It's never worked for him. He just spends all the money you have and trades all the prospects you have to try and win. And it's when has it worked? Has it worked before? The Marlins. The Marlins. For right. Dombrowski? When? Yeah, 97. They That's opened up the- 25 years ago. And they also opened up the pocketbooks. Like, you, you, you can ask Jeff about that. Like, they knew that they were going to be competitive that year because the Marlins really kind of pushed all the chips forward. You know, they paid big money and went out and got dudes because, you know, Wayne Heisinger, the Marlins owner at the time, it really felt like they, they could do it that year. And, and they were the highest salaried team for the Marlins, highest payroll team I think mean, they've ever had relative to the rest of the league. Like it wasn't even close. Uh, so, I mean, it's pretty easy to be a good executive when, you're, when your owner basically says, empty it out. You know, like let, let's, you can go get whoever you want. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, and you know what? He did a good job with that money, but that was in 97 when, you know, signing, signing straight mashers in 97 works. You know, that, that doesn't work today. Like th- that, this was almost the approach that he had in 1997, going and getting a Gary Sheffield, going and getting like, you know, some of the players that they brought in there. Uh, it, that just doesn't fly uh, in, in today's game, the way that he is approaching it. And I think that's very, very clear. After, with, after he was with the Marlins, he went to Detroit. The good years in Detroit were because he signed Miguel Cabrera to a mega deal. He signed Prince Fielder to a mega deal as well. He goes to Boston. They win a World Series in 2018. He got there in 2015. He signed J.D. Martinez to a mega deal. That was he, a good traded, he traded for Chris Sale. 
which is a pretty even trade, I guess. Now um, you could argue that the White Sox have borderline won that trade. Um, but the only way I push back on that is Chris Sale pretty much won the World Series yeah, for them. Yeah, no, that, that, you do that. You do that trade every day. Yeah, it's an even deal. Um, you got Chris Sale. He signed David Price to mega money. He signed Craig Kimbrell. All this guy does is sign established stars. If you give anybody a checkbook the size of Dave Dombrowski's, they will go and sign established stars. And I mean, to have the best right-handed hitter, uh, you know, I think of this generation and then also arguably the best right-handed pitcher of this, of this generation or one of two of two of yeah. And Verlander and Scherzer two of, I mean, I know they made runs, but like, why could they never finish the drill? I just don't think the team was really constructed well. And, and as the game continued to evolve, the, the Tigers did not evolve. And then Dombrowski just tries the same dated mentality at all of these different places. Uh, I know he gets that 2018 World Series and he gets the 1997 World Series. And, you know, those are the two that, that he has, you know, the credit for, I guess. Uh, but I'd argue 97, you know, that's a different ball game. And he was able to spend a lot of money. 2018, I guess you got to give some credit where credit's due there. Uh, like, you know, the Red Sox, that team was so good. Uh, I would give them credit on the Chris Sale trade. But again, anybody can make a trade like that when you have a wealth of prospects. I mean, what, what, the, what the Red Sox had system-wise there was outrageous. You could go get almost, with that package, you could go get almost any player in Major League Baseball that you wanted. Yes. And they went out and got, you know, the best available pitcher by a good margin. And, you know, that kind of helped put him over the top. It, you could say that about a lot of situations, but ultimately, you know, I just don't think Dombrowski's really done much. I think he kind of inherit, inherits nice situations and, and then goes all in. But uh, I, I guess you could argue he built that system up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, he's known for depleting it. And I'm afraid he's going to do that to the Phillies now. They're going to push all the chips forward. They're going to trade McAble. They're going to trade Andrew Painter. Uh, I, I don't think they'll actually do that, but if they do, I, it would be a big mistake because this team is far off and I'm sure Dombrowski's trying to push the chips forward. I'm sure he'd like to, uh, and firing Girardi, bringing in a new manager and saying, see, look, they're doing better now. Let me go all in here and, and trade those young promising prospects. They're five years away. Anyways, let's, let's make this move. I, I could see that happening without a doubt. And, and if they do that, the Phillies are going to be stuck in the purgatory even longer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, the, how, how Dave Dombrowski approaches things over the next few months. Yeah, and I think you and I know that there are a lot of really good executives and really good general managers in baseball right now. I don't think Dombrowski's a top 20 GM. I, I think no. he's bottom 10. I think he's a bottom tier general manager. The game has, has progressed quicker than, than he can catch up to. I, I just think that's really what it boils down to. I think, you know, he did a good job in 97. He fell into a good situation in 2018. Uh, I think his, his best days are behind him. Yeah, 100%. James Click uh, is a guy that has moved forward, uh, and he just signed Jordan Alvarez to big-time money. Jordan bypasses three years of arbitration. He's going to be making $26 million annually for the last three years of that deal as a designated hitter slash below average left fielder. But you know what? And we were just talking right before I hit record um, and I said some outlandish shit. I'm, I'm willing to say the outlandish shit again. Uh, I, I think 26 mil for a DH, if it's Jordan Alvarez, is going to be worth it. This guy oh. has, he's got the ability to be one of the greatest hitters of all time. I mean, it's, it's, it's really there. I mean, in terms of DH, I think when it's all said and done, he could be right there with David Ortiz. And that's kind of what we talked about. Right. So it, it, it's one of those situations where 
it's hard to compare him to, you know, I think, and Colby Olson does our analytics guy does all the queries and, you know, finds Jordan based on a lot of the queries in with some of the all-time greats. I think that's, that's fair in terms of the batted ball data, in terms of his ability to walk, not strike out a lot and produce a ridiculous amount of power. He's also just a DH. So I, I think David Ortiz is like what you're hoping to get out of this guy. And I think it's very clear that he is very capable of that. And I think could even have a more prolonged peak of power because Ortiz would hang around more, you know, the 30 home run range, 30 to 40 home run range, uh, and then had a couple pops of 54. And then I think one other pop in the, in the high forties, maybe a couple others, uh, which, you know, could have coincided with some of those uh, intriguing drug tests, but, you know, ultimately I think Jordan can be right there with, you know, his, his seasons of 45 to 50, maybe appearing a couple more times, which is outrageous to say, but I mean, he's probably going to hit 45 this year alone. Uh, I think pretty easily. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and I think Jordan is such an advanced hitter. He's 24 years old. And we talked about this. I want to say we talked about this before the regular season even started. Jordan Alvarez is a guy that, yeah, looks like he's one of the best power bats in baseball, but he's just one of the best overall bats in baseball yeah. because he is a very fundamentally sound hitter. And he works his way through at bats that a contact guy type does. I mean, you're the He's 24 years old, and with a guy with that much pop, has a 23% K rate. That's so low in today's game. And, and that's over his career. This year, 17%, 16.8% if you want to be precise. So, like, he's only getting better. And, that, and that's the most impressive thing to me. You talk about 23% on his career. His walk rate is almost twice what it was last year. Strikeout rate is 6% lower. And it's not like we're, we're working with 20 games here. You know, he's almost halfway to his sample size from last year. It's 600 plate appearances last year, and he's about about 200 this year. So he's a third of the way there. I mean, that that's a pretty good sample size yeah. that we're working with here. Jordan's getting better the more we see him. The big thing, the only thing that it is for me with him is health, right? We see yeah. him get banged up. We know he's got knee issues, which is part of the reason why he's moved to almost full-time DH. But the fact that he's 6'5", 225 pounds, and is able to – be so smooth and repeatable in the box. And now it just continues to have a better and better approach crushes lefties equally as well as he crushes righties. There's really no way to beat this guy. You have to execute three pitches perfectly to beat Jordan Alvarez. And I mean, that's pretty crazy. Can you talk me through his swing mechanics? Because like watching him just from the naked eye, it looks like there are so few moving parts there. It looks like a very simple swing. Um, we were talking about it last week, Aaron judge. He's got such a simple swing for a guy that big. There are no moving parts. He's point A to point B and point B is 400 feet to left center. Jordan Alvarez, I feel like is very similar to that where it's point A to point B and it's 460 feet down the right field line. I mean, dude, that that's what's amazing about it is, is he, he's able to leverage what is freakish strength and just let that eat. Because if you're somebody with, with the strength and the physicality of Jordan Alvarez, why would you need to move much? Like all he does, and if you look at Aaron Judge, they're kind of similar in this regard, small leg lift, keep your weight back and just let your absurd strength eat. So the fact that he doesn't move, he is in the same spot before he launches almost every single time. And baseball, you know, hitting especially, but you could say the same thing with pitching. It's all about how often you can repeat the correct move, right? And Jordan does that as well as anybody. 
He doesn't lose his weight forward. He doesn't, you know, end up going out and around baseballs. He repeats the same swing so efficiently, so effectively, and so frequently that, you know, it's so hard to beat him. I mean, you, if you get like a side view of him and watch his balance, I don't know if there's many other hitters outside of Aaron judge that are more balanced than Jordan. You'll never see him finish a swing falling over. He finishes his swing and his feet are in the same spot because for him, it's effortless. And again, he doesn't need to do anything too crazy to get into the power knows that and repeats his moves. It's a joke what he's able to do the baseball. Yeah. So your opinion, um, Jordan Alvarez is a top blank hitter in baseball. 10. Yeah. How close is he to five? Very. I think if we have this conversation again in all-star break, all-star break, you think he's five? I, I think he very well could be. Um, you know, here's my question. Cause again, if we're just talking hitting, like just, 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 just hitting, he's, he could be top five, right? I mean, how many guys I'm probably taking at this very moment, Aaron judge over him. But if we're just, just, just talking hitting, there's not that many guys I'm taking over because I'll, I'll think about Jose Ramirez yeah. and then I'm instantly thinking about all the other things Jose Ramirez does. Like, you right. really have to focus in on just the bat, just the bat. He's probably seven or eight range. And I think he could very easily prove himself as, as top five by, by the all-star break. I'm thinking like just the bat trout judge. Um, who else? Vladdy I mean, Mookie Mookie's Mookie. Like kind of, I would take Jordan's bat alone right now. I think it's right there with Vladdy. It's right. It's two right guys, there. Small sample size that could separate themselves in the next, next, in the next two, three months. Like that's how early it is for Jordan. Like that's the crazy part is it's so early. Yeah. Let's play the small sample size game real quick. I want to walk you through the 162 game averages between him and David Ortiz. Fair. Fair. David Ortiz in 162 game average. He played 20 years in major league baseball. This is a full sample size hit 286 with a 931 OPS 36 homers, 119 driven in, 118 strikeouts, 286, 931 OPS, 36 bombs, 119 driven in, 118 strikeouts. Jordan Alvarez has played 280 games so far in his major league career. His 162 game average, 289, 952 OPS, 44 homers, 127 driven in, and more punch outs, 158. So 289, 952 OPS, 44 homers, 127 driven in, and 158 punch outs. I mean, here's the crazy thing with Jordan, though, is the version that we're seeing right now is way better than the sample size that we have, right? So 2020, he doesn't play. So we have nothing from 2020. 2019, he was a rookie, a freaking rookie and played 87 games and hit homer 27 times. And then last year was hurt a lot of the season, struggled in the early going, then then got going. And by the time the season was done, we just didn't get the true Jordan stat line. 33 home runs last year, already 15 home runs in a third of the game. So we know he's going to smash last year's home run total. So th- those 162 game averages, you might as well bump those up. They're almost inevitably going to go <laughs> up. We're, you know what I'm saying? Like right now, statistically, all we're working with was a rookie season of 87 games and a banged up season last year where he finished spectacularly, but it was, it was late for him, you know, where he really got it going. And I think we're seeing a totally different hitter this year. So we, once we revisit this, 
I think he is a top five hitter in the game by the time we revisit this topic uh, around the all-star break. Yeah, man. I mean, very, very last thing with Jordan, because I don't think I've ever been more in on a hitter than I am with Jordan Alvarez right now, because nothing I watch says red flag. There, no, there no, is no. not a single Jordan Just Alvarez health. plate appearance. Just Dude, health. It's just health. It's just health. Um, we, we were talking right before we recorded. I said, what does the best possible season for Jordan Alvarez look like? Stars align in Jordan's prime. I said, what, 320 with 60 homers? And you said, that's a little crazy. But then we settled on like 320 with 50 homers. That still is nuts to put on anybody, but it seems fair for this guy. Yeah, I think something along. I don't. I, 320s might might be hard for him because I just how freaking slow he is. Like he's not going to get any cheap ones. Yeah, I, I think it's like 290 to 300 with 50, 50 to 55, which yes. is still insane. And I want to make one more point on Jordan. His con, he, he, soft contact, medium contact, hard contact, eight percent soft contact, right? Which which is hilariously low. His medium contact is 46% and hard hit rate at 45.3%. I mean, like he's just only hitting the ball hard and almost everything is back up the middle. 42% uh, to center field, 36% pull rate, 21% oppo. Uh, obviously there's a few like in change percentages that add up to the final percent there, but like that is a guy that has a picturesque, picturesque spray chart, hard hit rate as high as anybody in the game, uh, ground ball rate that is, you know, maybe a tad high for what you'd want from him, but almost yeah. picturesque. And then we know everything else is perfect. Walks almost as much as he strikes out. I, this dude is a picture of hitting. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of young hitters are going to start looking at Jordan and trying to repeat those moves. But the thing is, no one's going to be able to impact the baseball the way he does as, as simple as he is, you know, because that's the thing is usually you need more going on in your swing to produce the kind of power that he does. You want to mimic Jordan Alvarez. That's like saying like, yeah, I model my basketball game after LeBron James. And it's a 5'11 white kid who's like 160 yes. pounds, just soaking wet. I mean, you will never be LeBron James, kid. I'm sorry. You, like, if, if any little leaguer is out there and you say you want to hit like Jordan Alvarez, just wait till you're 6'5", 225. You can probably bend a bench bar in half. Like, I, it's, this guy is so strong. And he's so simple. If you swung like that and you have a build like you or me, you're not doing any damage on the ball. No, no, but you could be a good hitter. Um, like, and that's the point. Like some of the best, like Adam Frazier, right? Like he doesn't move that much and he's great bats a ball. It, it's, it's that simple for Jordan, but again, has the freak power, uh, which, which just makes it crazy. So that's what makes him just different. Yeah, 100%. Um, one more from me. Double A to Major League Baseball is becoming more and more apparent. You brought this up to me very, very early this year. And I like I noticed it a, a couple times in years prior, but it was it was few and far between. Usually guys had a cup of coffee in AAA at the very least. I mean, even last year, O'Neill Cruz was in Indianapolis for like six games and then he got the bump up. But the double A to Major League Baseball pipeline so far this year is kind of bizarre. I mean, I'm thinking with Atlanta, Michael Harris, with Texas this past weekend, um, I'm thinking Ezekiel Durant. Yep. I'm thinking Pittsburgh, Tukapita Marcano, and Jack Sawinski. And that was kind of a unique situation. There was a COVID outbreak, but Sawinski never went back down, and Marcano is back up after going back to double-A. There are a lot of instances. The Cubs. the Cubs. Yep, Anderson Espinosa was in Tennessee, right? And then what about Morel? Morel, Morel was in Tennessee. Nelson Velasquez. 
Uh, Velasquez spent a teensy bit of time in Iowa. Okay. But you had morale up there as well. And then guess what? Guess what? You know, I, I read, I read a, uh, a tweet earlier today. I believe James Fox, right? That's uh, yeah. That's our guy, show. James Fox, a future socks. Uh, Lenny and Sosa. Sox. Yeah. Yes. They had evaluators so- in Tennessee to see Tennessee and Birmingham and see Lenny and Sosa. Which is hilarious. Cause we were just talking about that with, with uh, the last show here. And what I love about that is, is that, you know, I think there's another case where we might see that jump be made. And uh, you, you talk about what double A has become because of just how much talent there is. I've always said, you know, I've, I've talked about it so many times on here, as you mentioned, like the jump to high A to, from high A to double A, I think is the biggest jump that you're going to make in the minors. And it seems like teams really feel that way too. If you can hit in double A right now, you can probably hit in triple A. So why waste the time there? And it's almost like double and triple A. I think we're going to get to the point where it's like lower, lower levels, upper levels. And we're really just going to kind of look at it that way where it's not, you know, all this segmentation. It's like, is he hitting in the upper levels? Is he hitting in the lower levels? So there's not much in it. Cause I would even say low A to high A isn't this like crazy difference either. Uh, so th- there's definitely a, a lot to unpack there. And I think COVID had some, something to do with that with just the backlog of talent and the delay of development. But ultimately, I think there's just so much talent now that the upper minors are going to kind of be structured this way. It just spills over to double A so much. And I I would love to see more guys get bumped up from double. I'm here for it. Double A OPS leaders that I'm looking at right now among qualified guys. Michael Bush with Tulsa. That's a guy that can make the jump easy. Easily can make the jump. Corbin Carroll. I bet they move him to triple first, but another guy that could no doubt make the jump. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bat an eye. Gunnar Henderson. That's one that he's so, he's so young. Um, yeah. I think they're going to take their time with him. Uh, and, and he's a guy that I could see getting blown up a little bit, but he's been phenomenal. Uh, how about Weimer? He, he could use some time. <laughs> he could use some time. I, I want to see that work like consistently against some of the best pitchers. I think it can. We've talked about it. I mean, we have that interview with Joey too, and I, I think he'll make it. He'll make it work. But he's like just settling in and double. So I, I'd like to see that happen a little longer. Uh, this would be crazy, but Jordan Walker has an OPS right around a thousand in Double A. I don't think they can do that. No, but he's a guy that I think honestly would just find a way. I I, I really think if you threw him into the big leagues, I, he'd struggle. He'd strike out a lot, but he'd find a way to be productive, similar to the way Nolan Gorman is right now. Yeah. Uh, I just think he'd find a way uh, because uh, Jordan Walker doesn't blink at any level, man. He's unbelievable. Yeah. How about Curtis Mead? <laughs> I think that guy could hit anywhere. I think that dude can hit anywhere. I don't think he'd be as productive. Obviously, I don't think there'd be as much power, but I think Curtis Mead could could tread water at any level. Last one for you. Um, if San Diego needs somebody and they are grinding and they need like a utility guy with a shit ton of speed, Asturi think about Asturi Ruiz who's hitting 344 with an 1100 OPS in double A. Another guy won't impact the baseball the same way because we're seeing a power, you know, outbreak a little bit too. But dude, Ruiz could survive. I think he could give them some excitement. Double A is super interesting right now. So much pitching. Like there, and, and that's the big thing I was talking Let's to. go to uh, pitchers. We'll play the pitcher game next. Yeah. I'm going to go to strikeout so, leaders. So you go to that while I was talking to Matt Mervis. And, and for Cubs fans out there, they might know, you know, of Matt Mervis. We're, I was just texting him the other day. He's been on an absolute tear. Like for the undrafted free agent, 
who has been just phenomenal for the Cubs now hitting up in double a and raking there. And I asked him, I was like, you know, what, what was the biggest difference from high A to double? He's like, obviously the starters are, are better, but the biggest difference is that the bullpen arms are insane. Normally in, in high A, you get the, get the starter out, you know, like in high school, you get the starter out and then whoever comes in relief usually is just much worse. Yeah. Uh, he's like in double A, the guys in relief are just dudes that don't have the stamina. So they're going like 98, like we saw. With Jose, Jose Lopez. Jose Lopez. And, you know, throwing 98 for, for 20 pitches and with, with a nasty slider. And he's like, it just seems like every team, it doesn't matter who they're going to. You know it's going to be, you know, upper 90s with a hammer. And, and that's why you don't really get a break in double A. And that's just like the big leagues now. So I think that's why they, they really feel like guys can make that jump. Whereas in triple – you have a lot of like journeymen that just aren't that good anymore. Yeah. And that's kind of the difference. You instead you have upper nineties guys that are trying to find it in double A versus journeymen who are, you know, just trying to find a way to make 90 work. Uh, and that's the difference between double and triple. I think at this point in some, in some aspects. I mean, I mean, I just, I just saw Jacoby Jones for a week. Jacoby Jones go. is like, I'd rather watch younger prospects than Jacoby Jones, but the, the same team that has Jacoby Jones on it, has Prado and Pasquantino on it. So like, it, that's the thing about AAA. You've got the 30-somethings that have a couple hundred games of big league experience paired with the 22-year-old Wonderkins who are at finishing school pretty much getting ready to make their big league debut, which I find super interesting. And I like, I think that dynamic can be helpful. No, it's Having great. Those guys, it's so great versus AA. There's just a shit ton of raw talent. See what you can do. Well, I mean, so you and I talked to, to Zach McCambley and Griffin Conine in the Marlins organization on the call-up, and that interview is out now. I mean, tell me that those two guys, really smart, you know, heady baseball players, wouldn't benefit from, you know, having a journeyman, uh, you know, as a teammate at the AAA level, picking their brain and talking to them about the big league level and things that they've learned. And, like, I definitely think for these smart players, it, it's a benefit. And, and that's another reason why AAA is, is, is a good layer to have uh, and, and just, you know, makes sense. 100%. Let's play the pitcher game now. Okay. Logan Allen is the double-A strikeout leader. Oh, I, I think he's ready. I, 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 don't, I don't even understand why he doesn't get up there now. He's, he's got some of the best command in the minors. Dude, he's got 73 punch-outs, 17 walks, and 54 innings. Guardians, three pitches for a strike shocker. Uh, stuff is ticked up. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know anything about Carl Kaufman? I honestly don't. I, I can't even fake that one. Colorado system. I think Coffin was a Michigan man. I just remember that name, but he's among the strikeout leaders. Alec Marsh. What do you think? Royals. Marsh is disgusting. Royals. So um, he's got a bad ERA, 6-1-0 ERA, because he's walking a lot of people with 72 strikeouts and 41 and a third. Another Royals dude that's stuff ahead of ahead of uh, command, but yeah. open arm and a really good one, I think, once they fully move him there. Gross. So a guy that I really like in Detroit's system is Reese Olsen. Have you seen anything from Reese Olsen? Gross. He is gross too. I think he could get up there sooner rather than later. Command though is the question. So he needs time. A guy that I really liked when I was out on the Cape, Chris Murphy is shoving for Boston, uh, for yeah. Portland. And I told you about Chris Murphy when, when yeah. we were doing the top 10 Red Sox prospects. I said, look out for Murphy because he's got a mid-90s fastball with command. He's got good breaking stuff, but he's got that West Coast changeup that I keep talking about where somehow they get all this horizontal run on this changeup. It comes out of nowhere. But Chris Murphy, 11 appearances, 10 starts, a 2-1-8 ERA and 53 and two-thirds. 64 strikeouts. 
in 53 and two thirds. So Chris or uh, Chris Murphy is throwing really well at the moment. So, so one thing I'll say with the pitchers though, is, you know, as we're having this conversation, I think it's different with pitchers. I think if you can hit in double a, you can, you can, you know, make some guys can make that jump. And I yeah. think that's why we saw the white Sox. you know, send guys to go see Lenin Sosa. I think for pitchers, I would want to see them in triple tighter zone, more experienced hitters. You talk about the journeyman, like the Jacoby Joneses of the world will tee off on an inexperienced pitcher. That's not, you know, polished. Uh, whereas, you know, guys in double a, they might not punish you for the mistakes as much. They might not have as much of an approach. Brian Bayo, you, t- you said Chris Murphy, that made me think of Brian Bayo. Another yeah, guy who- Bayo's up in triple. We put him in the top 100 ahead of this year. And, uh, you know, that's a dude that needed to go to triple before, you know, they called him up. They're going to call him up soon. I'd, I'd bet a lot of money on it. The Red Sox will call him up soon to help them. Um, but, you know, Chris Murphy, I, he, he was 10th in our Red Sox top 10. And, you know, if we updated it, he'd be even higher. With what he's able to do, too, as a lefty, I think that's a guy that you could force up to the big league straight away because he could be a swingman for you, you know, in the near future. So I'm curious to see which teams do it. I think the Red Sox are one team that could force a couple arms up. One more name for you, same division that I think could fit that role perfectly as a swingman is Simeon Woods Richardson, who's having a very strong year. Actually, he's with Minnesota now, different division. Minnesota now didn't give up a run through his first, like, 22 innings, Um, just four pitches that go in all different directions. I think he could be great in that role. And, you know, with Sonny Gray going down, like that's going to be really interesting to see how, how the twins continue to, to try to tread water rotationally uh, and just pitching wise period. Um, and, you know, Simeon Woods Richardson could be one of those guys for them. He's got great command, continues to get better in that regard. And um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see if any of these pitchers make that double a jump because there's a lot of dudes that are a lot of teams that I think could use some of their dudes in double A and we'll see how they try to fast track them. Quick headline. And then my last one, I've got two more. Uh, number one, going back to the Phillies, Bryson Stott, back-to-back games with a bomb. This one, a walk-off three-run bomb. You're as high on Stott as anybody I know. Uh, he golfed a ball over the, uh, over the right field wall to end that game against the Angels. Is Stott the guy? I think he's their shortstop for the foreseeable future. I, I, like, and it's not just me refusing to, uh, to, to just say, Hey, yeah, maybe this guy doesn't have it. Like I know it was rough for him out of the gate, uh, but it is so hard. <laughs> it is so hard to, to make that transition to the big league level. I thought he looked great in spring training. Uh, and, and I think we're seeing a different version of Stott and a more confident version of Stott. You know, we saw two hits against the Giants. Then we saw two more hits against the, the Angels in the first game. And then even when he goes 0 for 2, or, or he went 0 for 2 uh, in the game yesterday, I guess it would be two days ago for, as people are listening to this, walks twice, you know, finds a way to be productive, scores a couple runs. He's fast on the bases as well. And then we saw him come up big again, uh, you know, with the walk-off as well yesterday for people that are listening. Like This is a guy that is figuring it out. And for me, you know, we talk about simple swings and stuff like that. Stott is a dude that has a very simple swing. And now all of a sudden is, has run into a little bit more power. He was more of that simple swing, can repeat it, go gap to gap. And now it's, hey, I can sneak some out pull side. And especially with the short porch in Philly, I think he's going to start feasting there, but he can use the whole field well. He's an above average runner. He's 50 to 55 across the board on the 2080 scale. Those guys translate. I think he's a safe bet. And I think it would be outrageous to pretend that Bryson Stott, you know, was was a bust after 80 at-bats. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing the next 10 at-bats already be better. I think better days ahead for Bryson Stott. And and I think he's going to be an integral part in this team trying to uh, tread water and give balance to them. 
what what other players like Stott do they have? What other players that are good defenders? They don't that fast that that can run that can do a little bit of everything. You know, tools across the board. Who else is like that for them? They That's don't it. have another guy. That's it. So I I think you got to let this guy continue to try to learn up there because if he's giving you the O for twos with two walks and two runs because he again is a guy that can really make things happen on the base paths you got to keep this guy in the lineup. And, and he's proven that now and he rises to the big moment. And, and I'm excited to see if he can continue to do that. And I think he will. 100%. Let's wrap with the Yankees pitching staff. They played a doubleheader on Thursday. They won an extras on Sunday, but I want to talk the doubleheader Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because they outscored the Angels and the Tigers in those four games, 24 to two. They're the best two. team in baseball. Yes, I'm with you. Um, I, I am totally with you. Even though the Dodgers are playing a lot better. Hey, they just got swept by Pittsburgh last week. But even though the Dodgers are playing a lot better, the Yankees just haven't wavered at all. And you mentioned that Aaron Judge is performing like an MVP at the moment. I mean, Judge is like crushing the baseball. But I want to go through these starts, start by start. Game one of the doubleheader was a 6-1 win over Anaheim on Thursday. Nestor Cortez, seven innings, Five hits, no runs, seven strikeouts, two walks. He lowered his ERA to one five zero. Nestor's a freak. Game two of the doubleheader, they won 2-1. That was when Jamison Tyone carried a perfect game into the eighth. Eight innings, two hits, one earned, five walks, or five strikeouts, pardon, no walks. Then you go to Friday. Friday was the series opener against Anaheim and against Anaheim, the series opener, they won 13 to nothing. Garrett Cole had a perfect game through six. Cole went seven of two hit ball shutout, nine strikeouts, no walks. And then what Severino did in a three, nothing win on Saturday, Luis Severino, seven innings, one hit, no runs, 10 strikeouts, one walk. That's everybody putting together the start of their lives four games in a row yeah that's a weird like is that a coincidence or is something clicking across this staff it has to be a coincidence because i've never seen a stretch of four starters do something like that before so i i mean here's the thing they're they're all kind of adopting a similar mentality and a similar you know approach which is they've all added this cutter um and i think that's not really a total coincidence either right like jameson tyone you know, did not throw the cutter much at all last year. Now throwing it much more. I think he's mixing it in about 14% of the time. We know what the curve or what the cutter has done for Nestor Cortez. We've seen what the cutter has done for uh, somebody like Garrett Cole, even, you know, who was struggling to really get the spin on pitches. You don't need to snap uh, a cutter. It's almost just a natural, a natural occurrence. And some guys discovered their, their cutter by accident. I don't know about Severino if he's throwing a cutter. Uh, much at this point, but I mean, I can tell you about for sure. Tyone is throwing it. Cole is throwing it and, and Nestor is throwing it, which is insane. Uh, I, there's something I think across the pitching staff that is working uh, that they're understanding. And that, that I think is, is translating across the board here uh, at that being said, I don't think that directly results in perfect games being, you know, pushed into the sixth inning plus for every guy in your staff. But I do think that some of it is uniformity of, of, application of what is actually being you know thought through this entire organization and seeing it work is pretty cool Jameson Tyone I think is the big point here yes Uh, he he is 
this was a guy that was, you know, top overall pick. He was or the second overall pick in 2010. He's shown flashes of being an ace. Uh, you know, I, I've been overly critical of that trade by the Yankees. I thought it was you know, giving up a lot to trade Romancy Contreras along with some of the other pieces that they traded within that deal. But here we are. And, you know, Jamison Tyone, I, I don't think he's going to keep, you know, pitching to a sub one whip. It's 0.9 to be exact. But I do believe that Jamison Tyone, when healthy, is, is a legitimate middle of the rotation arm. But, you know, maybe he found something here, Jack. Again, the cutter is new for him. He's phased out the four seamer, which was never good. Uh, now phasing it out, you know, more and more using a slider that is starting to look a little bit better. The curveball has been phenomenal. Like he has so many different ways that he can attack you. And he has one, two, three, four, five different pitches with a whiff rate of 23% or above. That is insane. So he has so many different ways that he can come at you. And I just think Jamison Tyone kind of mastered who he wants to be. And that is a huge, huge development. And when you're walking 2% of batters, you're going to be successful. 90th percentile in chase rate, walking 2% of batters. I'm kind of in on what Jamison Tyone is doing. And that's pretty outrageous because I'll be honest, I would have bet a lot of money on this not happening. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm also super in that you have fully adopted the, uh, the Kevin Durant, have you mastered basketball thing? I've mastered who I want to be because um, I, I want that it's to important. be a part of my lingo. It is it's important. It's It's also the perfect way to put that, right? Like you look at Kevin Durant, like obviously he misses shots. So he hasn't mastered basketball, but he mastered exactly who he wants to be. Jamison Tyone is getting closer to being the pitcher that he wants to be and that the best version of Jamison Tyone looks like. And you mentioned that cutter. I want to go back to four seam fastball usage because you said that he keeps on, you know, phasing it out. 50% usage last year, pretty much on the four seam fastball, 49.5. 33.3 usage this year the cutter he's throwing 14 percent of the time like you said at 90 miles an hour it's a 2500 rpm pitch and opponents are hitting 222 against it a hard hit rate of 15 percent that's a disgusting cutter with great results and it just popped up out of absolutely nowhere that's what I'm saying. I, I really do think that the cutter is a big development across this pitching staff. And you look at that and, and, and I think cutters in baseball in general, I've made a big difference. And, you know, I'm pulling up Seve now too. guess what he's throwing 10% of the time. Cutter, a cutter, a cutter. And Seve has been phenomenal, phenomenal. And, and that's the big thing too, is you think about what the sticky stuff does or, or lack thereof. If you don't have sticky stuff, you can't rip that breaking ball as well. A cutter, you don't have to rip. You don't have to grip and rip it. You know, you really just have to throw it with the right grip and, with, with, you know, with the right roll off your fingers. And you, know, you could speak to it probably better than me, but it, the point is you don't need sticky stuff to have a good cutter. Mariano Rivera did it for, for 20-something years. Uh, this is something that I think is kind of the answer to not being able to legitimately stick your hand to the ball and spin the crap out of it. You talked about Tyone's spin rate on the cutter. Uh, I think this is a way to be a bit more effective without having the pressure of, can I get away with basically cheating? Uh, And also, you know, Luis Severino being healthy is just absolutely massive. It's massive because we know how much talent Luis Severino has, but um, yeah, like just circling back to the cutter thing, you're right. And when you look at cutter spin, uh, Tyone's a 2,500 RPM cutter. Nestor Cortez is a 2,300 RPM cutter. 
and Nestor's cutter is way better. Nestor opponents are hitting 149 against his cutter right now, but he's throwing 40% of the time. Um, so the beauty of the cutter, and I, I'm a big proponent of sticky stuff really only helping four seamer guys. Um, because that's the whole point. Like the sticky stuff does not help sinker slider people. It just doesn't. It helps four seamer guys because spin creates that deceiving rise. Yeah. That's what four seamers want to do. Two seamers, you're looking to get under barrels and look to get to the outside of righty bats if you're a lefty or in on a guy's hands if you're in a righty righty matchup. I mean, like that that's the thing. Like you don't need it for other pitches other than a four seam fastball and a curveball. And that's why James Karinchak sucks now because he throws a high spin four seam fastball and a hammer of a curveball. And those are the two pitches that spider tack affects. Yep. hundred percent. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, what, what the Yankees are doing here, I mean, this kind of changes everything, man. And that's yeah. why I said best team in baseball right now, I'm still taking the Dodgers, uh, but you have the Yankees playing at their home park. You know, let's say that they're playing the Yankee stadium in the world series with what they're doing on the mound. I, I would, if it's Yankees Dodgers and they're looking like this, I, I could easily see the Yankees pulling that off. Obviously we have a lot of season to go and, and a lot of things can happen, but what's crazy about the Yankees is they've got some dudes carving up in the minor leagues too. You look at Ken Waldachuk, you look at Hayden Wisniewski, yeah. like dudes that are carving the upper minors. The Yankees are in as good of a spot as there is at any team in baseball. And I know, I know that's not the most ideal thing for most people out there. Yeah. Uh, but I, we talk about GMs, man. We've been hard on Brian Cashman. Uh, you you got to give him a nod here and, and say, man, like he, I think went back to the drawing board and said what we've been doing. And he took a similar like Dombrowski esque approach, which was, let me go all in on this offense and just rake and then get the most expensive pitcher we can find, uh, which was, you know, just going and getting Garrett Cole. Anybody could do that when you have a, you know, blank check. Right. But then this year with, with the moves to get a Trevino and to get uh, Isaiah Connor Falefa and like to get more balanced players, even to bring in an Anthony Rizzo. I, I really think Brian Cashman has adapted. It's adapt or die. And yeah. Brian Cashman didn't want to die. And Here Dombrowski's dying. Right. We're seeing Dombrowski die. Here, and it's, it's, it's the duality of GMs here. Two guys, similar age, similar, you know, in terms of like timeline. I think Cashman's a little younger, but we're seeing one guy die and another guy adapt. And, yes. you know, it's baseball Darwinism here. Um, another one for you. Clay Holmes has a 0.34 ERA at the moment, 26 and two thirds, one earned run against him. I just want to point out these numbers because I brought him up because Clay Holmes was a former pirate, you know, came up, had these weird, you know, erratic spells where he just couldn't really throw a strike. I just want to run you through the walk numbers between the pirates and the Yankees. Clay Holmes appeared in 91 games with the pirates, 122 strikeouts, 84 walks. He's appeared in 50 games with the Yankees, 62 strikeouts, seven walks. How, how do you flip the switch like that? How do you stop walking people when all you do is walk people? It's one tweak for a bullpen arm. There's nothing more volatile than the bullpen in major league baseball. And, you know, I, I, that's why I love, you know, taking a chance on those high upside arms that have nasty stuff and hoping that you can get them to hone in on it a little bit. And I think, you know, we're seeing exactly what the Yankees are doing with Matt Blake and you know, I think that's very clear 
that they have figured something out. They have their system. It's working in the bullpen too. Look at freaking Mike King. Yeah. What, what in the world is that? Yeah. He was traded straight up for Garrett Cooper. Like these were, this was the most unassuming, uninteresting trade ever. Garrett Cooper is now hitting over 300 for the Marlins. He's their best bat by far yeah. right now. And, and King has been one of the best relievers in baseball. It's yeah. pretty wild. Dude, I, yeah, they're the best team in baseball. Yep. And we're not even talking about Jordan Montgomery, who's like Mr. Consistent. And that's, right. like, their, that's like their last starter at this point. No, and I mean, we're still not talking about Judge. <laughs> that's the yeah. thing. Like, oh, yeah, the MVP. And they're like, oh, yeah, Stanton, too. And, you know, it's like. And meanwhile, all I hear is the Yankees fans like complaining about Aaron Hicks. Like spare and Gallo. Me. Don't forget about Gallo. Spare me. Spare me. You, it's, you're in great shape. You're literally the best team in baseball. Like, don't bitch about the two bad guys. That, like, even then, like, it's not that bad. It, like, I, I still think it could be okay with both those guys. But eh, I, I'm kind of out on Gallo at this point. I think I'm out on Gallo in New York. Uh, and, and I think there's a there's a legitimate chance that the Yankees might say, hey, you know, maybe Gallo's just, just not going to happen here. And they shuffle things around a little bit. That, that could easily happen. But I think he could thrive elsewhere. I just don't think Gallo can handle New York. Yeah. No, I can see that. Um, it's kind of weird. You know what a great, a great landing spot for him? Um, Texas. Low-stress environment. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about Miami? Yeah, <laughs> perfect. That He'd sounds fit great. right in. Ton of strikeouts. You know, I'd fit right in. I hey, the, I heard the White Sox are hunting for left-handed outfield bats. Dude, that that actually could be a thing. It could be a thing. Um, oh, Jays, but they wouldn't do it in division. They wouldn't do it in division. But yeah, <laughs> I'm going to start Gallo to the White Sox. How about Padres? Oh God, AJ Preller. Who would you need to give up for Joey Gallo? I don't think much at this point. I don't think much. Like what? I don't what, even know what a trade would look like. I've, 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 I, won't, I won't even pretend to know. Could you do like, be. could you do weathers for Joey Gallo? <laughs> that would be insane. That would be hilarious. I, I Like, yeah, weather sucks right now, uh, which is really like sad to see. I know. So you're buying low on both. Yeah. Like maybe weathers and like a, like a lottery ticket guy. Yeah, weather's we, in we a low saw, We saw the Padres already take their scraps with Voight. Yeah. And maybe they'll do it again. That They've would be a lot of communication. Hey, Cash would be like, hey, you, you want some more scraps? We, we'll take another, you know, lottery ticket. That would be hilarious. Justin, Justin Lange was a lottery ticket. I don't even think he's pitched this year. So like, take another lottery ticket. Dude, I would laugh my ass off if the Padres got Joey Gallo. Our boy Javier Reyes would be punching air. Dude, Voight. Robbie Cano and Joey Gallo in the same Cano's year. Cano's done, right? I thought Cano's done. I thought he's out. Cano is done. But like the whole, it's the thought, right? It's it's the thought yeah. and the fact that you go on Robinson Cano's baseball reference and you see that he played for the Padres. Like yes. that's funny as hell. That's going to be really funny. Like in 15 years when we look back on that and we're like, oh my gosh. Remember, remember that? that fever dream? <laughs> <laughs> that crazy Padres team. Hey man, he's going to be a Kansas City Royal in September, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, he'll fit right in with Carlos Santana. Perfect. Um, all right. Social media, Just Baseball Show on Instagram, Just Baseball Fans on TikTok, Just BB Media on Twitter. We're pumping out highlights every night on Twitter. Yeah. If you want, like, honestly, if you wake up in the morning and you just want a recap of what happened, if you have a night away from your TV, away from your radio, and you're just like, huh, I wonder what I missed in baseball. I want to see some cool shit. Just go to Just BB Media on Twitter. Because we're pumping out shit 
every night. It's, we, you know, we're, we hired social media people. Like we're, 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 we're actually doing it. <laughs> we're doing the damn thing. And um, the guys are killing it. Elijah yeah. and, 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 you know, Elijah and Ethan are killing it. E and E are killing it on, on social. So where we're not, we're not missing on those. Like I, there's not a play. I used to have to text and like, Hey, uh, are we on this? Or like, do you want me to do it real quick? They, I find out plays now before I even, you know, before, before I even see it in, in real time, like I, I'll, I'll be catching up on highlights on TV. I'll realize ah, I can just scroll on my Twitter and catch it sooner. So uh, it, it's, it's getting to that point now, which is awesome to see because I can actually use our Twitter as a resource for myself. hundred percent. Never hundred percent. Um, cool. Good editorial stuff on just baseball.com as well. Pumping out content every single day. We've got great dives into people. We've got, you know, all your listy lists. If you want to know the favorites to win the college world series, we've yeah. got that right there. We've got the dark horses to win the college world series. So we're kind of living large right now on just baseball.com. Again, all the social medias uh, and Peter and I are going to shoot the shit tomorrow. And we're probably going to publish it as a podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah.